time, everyone. Rogue Table Talk, episode... 23. 23. 23 in Deutschland. Dang, y'all didn't know that, did you? I'm not sure I know it either, but you I didn't, guess right. You yes. didn't know Mike could do that. <laughs> Rogue Table Talk. <clears throat> that's yes, a lot. That's, that's, that's a it. lot on the That's right. That's, You're welcome. That's almost half a year. You're welcome. You're welcome, everyone. <laughs> You're welcome, America. Rogue listeners. That's table right. Listeners, take a talk. Listeners, <laughs> thanks for subscribing. Say it. yes, indeed. So we are on uh, Jesus Unexpected. Surprise! Surprise! It's Jesus and Jesus, uh, Jesus and parties. Yeah, Jesus the partier. Jesus goes right. to parties. Is that unexpected? Last week we talked about don't be judgy. This week it's Jesus and parties. Jesus and parties. What's surprising about that? What's offensive? Yeah. Well, it's interesting that um, without, you know, too much effort, uh, we've got I've got three or four passages here. Could have had a lot more. There's a lot of uh, ground covered by Jesus going to parties, Jesus and parties, Jesus interacting with people at parties, Jesus being criticized for going to parties, and like we don't have. We don't have most of them here, so it's an interesting. Oh. It, it's uh, yet yeah, one of the unexpected things is happens a lot. Like it was a major uh, a thing that happened, not not necessarily in the sense of um, to emulate Jesus. We need to go to parties all the time, right. but how that was viewed, received, what it said, uh, how it was interpreted. It, so there's it, it's a, an important thing, you know, for those of you uh, like to geek out about you know, interesting things in the Bible, you know, go through the gospels and take some notes on all the parties that Jesus is coming to. He's leaving. He's, right. uh, right. you know, who he's with, what right. he's doing, what happens as a result of those things. That's right. That's right. And I, so let me just read one of those. It's Mark two. So it's early, uh, very early in Jesus's ministry, Mark two, 15 through 17. And we read while Jesus was out having when Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, so Levi was, uh, Matthew, became Matthew the disciple, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners." So let's maybe use that as a, as a jumping off point to put a little meat on this, this bone here. So what's, what is the objection? Where is that coming from? What's happening in that context, in that place? Yeah. Yeah, so uh, Jesus is having table fellowship with uh, people whom the religious leaders uh, not just rationally thought, but you know, viscerally felt that these people were, you know, how are you going to put it? Sinners, unclean, um, outsiders, morally bankrupt, mm-hmm. um, you know, marginalized dregs of society. And Jesus is eating with them. And this is the rub because Jesus is fellowshipping with people who, uh, a, a rabbi, a reputable rabbi, mm-hmm. uh, a, a, a conservative theological person. Pharisees is mm-hmm. the more conservative sect. Right. Sadducees is a little less conservative, but both uh, pretty staunch in their theology. Um, and 
people criticize him for it. So it is seems like it's dressed up as a theological uh, objection, right? But it's really heavily weighed down by cultural uh, and emotional responses that it's, are right. weighted in there. It's way more about a socio-moral kind Those of are the ethic. bad people, and yes. we don't. You know, we avoid the bad people. One of the reasons we know we're good is we avoid the bad people. Um, and it's interesting that Jesus is, when he heard this, he said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And so part of that seems to indicate not just that it's okay to go to a party where non-believing people are, lost people are, people who live differently, believe differently, but that it's a naturally sort of missional, like, of course, that's what you should do because here's a bunch of people who need, you know, who need love, who need grace, who need truth, uh, who need God's presence. You know, why wouldn't someone go there? Right. Seems to be the point he's making. Yeah. Which obviously that's the point the Pharisees are missing or ignoring or glossing over or whatever yeah you know what's funny is uh don't quote me on this but it doesn't seem to be the teaching of jesus that causes the most disruption for the pharisees it is his actions it is who he's with and who he's enjoying being around so that's so that's an interesting point and it strikes me that so, okay, so for that to be the case, they should have objected to the teaching yeah. because they were, but they didn't object to it because they were interpreting it through their own lens. Right. They were making it unobjectionable to them, right? Uh, and Jesus' actual meaning is revealed by his actions as mm-hmm. well as mm-hmm. his teaching. And so it strikes me that, of course, we can do that too, right? I mean, we can make what should be objectionable in the Bible or in a sermon or in a podcast. Yeah. We uh-oh. can make it, uh-oh, we can make it We very unconscious. It's not a conscious decision. We sort of unconsciously, so I'm a good person. I believe in Jesus. I believe these things. So therefore, I've, I'm good. Any implication that this is convicting me or pushing me in a certain direction, I can easily sort of it's not even right to say I'm explaining it away because it's unconscious, it's subconscious. Like I don't even have to explain it. Away, yeah. Right? right. Right. And so in that sense, I'm missing the entire message and feeling virtuous and pious and good and the whole thing. Yeah. You're not being, we aren't being scandalized as we maybe were intended to be scandalized. And I, I think it's really interesting that Jesus came to show us what God is like. God comes in the flesh, and this is incarnation. So uh, he's the the fullest picture that we can get of what does God do if he spends time here on earth? Right. And the thing that scandalizes people yeah. somewhat the most is that he enjoys eating and drinking with outsiders. Yes, right. That's that just that's a, something there of, hmm, what does that mean? signal what, what does, does it mean signal? what should right. i be scandalized by something in jesus right. yeah yeah and what of that should i emulate so what should i be scandalized by and what should i emulate and you know so in a sense how does this dynamic live out today with so obviously the pharisees are religious people religious people looking at 
Jesus and his disciples having fun at a party, eating and drinking with sinners and being, uh, you know, objecting to that. Mm -hmm. You know, what, what are some analogs for us today? Like how, how can that play out in our own lives today? Yeah. Yeah. I think maybe we'll start to filter based on, um, what people might say about us, mm-hmm. what people right. might think about okay, us. We start right. to filter yeah. who I want, right. who I'm going to be around. I don't want people to think right. blah, blah, blah. So right. I won't do this and that. So I won't do that. I won't be at this person's get together mm-hmm. or, you know, that person's wedding or this right. person's this, because I don't want to, uh, what was the phrase we kind of talked about earlier? Like, hurt my own witness. Yeah. I don't know that people use that phrase a lot right. anymore, but I, you know, something I don't want like people that. to misinterpret. Right. I don't want people to misinterpret. Right. Right. Which is funny because Jesus was misinterpreted and seemed un, unaffected by, like, he's not going to let the fear of being misinterpreted keep him from doing what he ought to be yeah, the doing. The misinterpretation for him, especially here, was the entrance to the deeper layers mm-hmm. of what he wanted to get at with the Pharisees. Because right. right. this is fascinating to me. So he's, he's enjoying uh, the party, he's enjoying the time, and they start to criticize and he doesn't give them a direct question or answer. Yeah. It's like, well, why are you eating with them? And he doesn't explain himself. He just mm-hmm. says, well, it's not uh, the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Mm-hmm. And right. it's like, oh, he's trying to get three to four layers down right. of what is really going on. Right. So the occasion for the, the party stumbling is the, the party. Yeah. Right. Um, but then the, oh, he's in a sense trying to subvert the Pharisee's own, you know, self-righteousness. So then... How, what is it, you know, how do we, how, how should we be like Jesus and what way should we be like Jesus or, or what uh, things should we be concerned yeah. that we're not being like Jesus? Because uh, it seems like we can go, as in many of things, we can go wrong too far one way or too far the other. Sure. Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think especially for people who grew up in the church or maybe grew up in a more culturally conservative moment and grew up in the church, they often can associate, you know, my parents and their friends would never go to this sort of party. Uh, So maybe that means, A, I shouldn't, and I feel shameful about going or I don't go. Or maybe it means I'm going to react so far against that that I'm going to be the chief partier. Right. Just reacting against this, what I view as a hypocritical, you know, dead faith. Yeah. When both of those reactions are really not what Jesus is about anyway. It's about how do I interact and connect with these lost people mm-hmm. so that they feel love and grace and truth and so on. Yeah. Um, and I don't know that we're super good at that uh, in, the, in the world we live in. And I think it's, it's a challenge to be... Because um, we don't live in the middle well. We, yeah, I think we don't... I think a sign of Christian spiritual maturity is you're just more comfortable with who you are in Christ. And a lot of these other extraneous questions about what are people going to think or how should I act at the party just sort of go away. Like Jesus is completely himself. Yeah. Like the questions of like, should I be at the party? What will I do at the party? Is it okay if I like all of these questions that cause so much anxiety as opposed to like, this sounds like a good time. I'm looking right. forward to I, being with I people. I want to be with these people. Right. And 
uh, hopefully, uh, you know, they will see Christ in me as I am my true self in this setting, in this idea of should I hold a beer or not? All of that becomes somewhat extraneous. It does, right. Uh, and I think that when we are not comfortable in our own skin and we force ourselves to go to the party, then that's maybe not so great either. Right. Like we're the uptight Christian or we're the overly something. Right. Like I don't even know how to describe right. it. Right. Right. Where, um, and you don't get that sense at all that Jesus is, you know, at home. He's always at home He's where he at is. Home. He's not worried about his image. Right. He's not worried about uh, the, the reputation. He's really not. He, right. he takes himself a lot less seriously than I think we think or we take ourselves. Right. Like I, Which is odd because he's God. It is. Yeah. It is odd. You, you find right. God enjoying life. Yes. Right. Like there's something right. here of the, the party is almost a symptom of a deep-seated enjoyment yes. of being alive right. and sharing that life with yeah. friends right. and people. Yeah. Like the fact that God enjoys the company of fallen, broken human beings, that that should do a lot of things to our yeah. heart. Now, theologically, that shouldn't surprise us Shouldn't at surprise all. us, right. But it, in practice and actuality, sort of does surprise yes. us uh, sometimes. And I think that's, like, he's not... He's enjoying the party in its own sake, and he's also sort of continuing his mission of being physician to the sick all at the same time. Yeah, like right. there's no gear. He's it's not one or the shifts, other. It's not one or the other, um, which is super interesting. And I do feel like this sense of party is it's all throughout the it's all throughout the Gospels, as we've said that you know the, the, the parable of the kingdom of heaven. This is Matthew twenty two. Two through four, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. Uh, he sent his servants to call those who had been invited to the banquet, but they refused to come. Again, he sent other servants and said, tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and fatted cattle have been killed and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. And so here, here's this picture of the kingdom of heaven as a party, as a wedding mm-hmm. banquet, which um, you know echoes the... The prodigal, you know, coming to grace. There's a yeah. party. There's there's eating and there's drinking and there's joy and there's celebration, and this sort of this parable sort of foreshadows, you know, Revelation 19, where when we are joined together as God's people, we will be the bride. He is the groom. There will be a wedding banquet. Mm-hmm. There will be, you know, he foreshadows it in I think it's John two in the wedding at Cana when he says you know, my time is not, it's not yet time for me to make wine to celebrate. Like this is not the right wedding banquet for that. Right. Um, and, you know, the parable of the 10 virgins and, you know, waiting for the bridegroom and there's going to be a party and you can't, whatever. There's so many of those pictures of we are on our way to a big party. Yeah, that's really interesting. And 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 we did a teaching training a few weeks ago about the different pictures that the Bible gives us for salvation. And you see two of them in mm-hmm. the, these passages. One of them is that uh, Jesus heals sick people, mm-hmm. sick being the right. deepest yeah. sin and healing being his you know rescue. But then the other one that I think we maybe I think uh, in the... 1054, the church split, Eastern Western Church, the Eastern Church picked up more on the idea of salvation as festival. 
mm-hmm. the Western church picked up a little more on mm-hmm. the idea of, of salvation as um, substitutionary atonement. Both are not wrong, but I think we emphasized one over the other. So we lost a little bit of this kingdom is about feasting. Kingdom is about festival. Mm-hmm. Salvation is going to a mm-hmm. great big party. Right. Like it's moving that right. direction. The yeah. whole thing's going somewhere yeah. to this big wedding feast. So teaching team meeting, you mentioned passage in Isaiah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Isaiah 25. Um, you sh- he'll swallow up death forever on this mountain. Obviously, this prophetic view of, of. ultimate resurrection. Right. Yeah. And then it says, and on this mountain, we will share, and it's, you have to read it. It's a beautiful passage, Isaiah 25. Uh, we will share in fine wine, the finest of wines, and aged meat. And it's this sensory allurement of, oh, this is salvation. Mm-hmm. It's feasting mm-hmm. together and and sharing in that joy, deep joy, fellowship, right? And loving it, loving feast, and and, right. and with that's what I think. Like Jesus was able to let down all of the guards and the walls that maybe we put up about just enjoying, mm-hmm. right. you know, fellowship or a party or the life that God has given us, right. the grace, all the common grace that God gives. Jesus yeah. was able to just fully be there and have a good time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's something that's sort of, uh, and I don't know if this is goes along with the East-West split uh, in the church, but there's a cultural differences, I believe, in those. You know, we've been yeah. in you know Eastern Africa near the Horn of Africa, and it's definitely culturally different when it comes to celebration and so on. And um, and I think in the West, it's much more. Um, you know, the Protestant work ethic is you work hard and you work and you work more and mm-hmm. you, uh, you know, you, and none of, it's not like that's bad. It's just a matter of we've emphasized one to the extent that we've almost made, you know, rest and Sabbath and feasting and celebration and eating and drinking somehow almost a guilty pleasure yeah. rather than just, no, it's a pleasure. Like enjoying the hu- those human activities that God blessed by design in Genesis 1 and 2 and said are good. Right. Uh, there's almost a suspicion about them. Yeah, right. Like, you better do that right. Yeah. right. Yeah. There's this interesting passage. I don't think we meant to bring this up, but there's an interesting passage in 1 Timothy 4. You're probably familiar with it, where it says in later days, mm-hmm. people will follow the teachings of demons. Mm-hmm. And then you know what it says that mm-hmm. the demons will teach? The forbidding of marriage right. and the enjoyment of certain foods. Right. Like the goodness right. of being right. human. The fulfillment of desire. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Right? That's good. that's another thing that this picture of heaven, it's partly the right, the, the right and full and complete fulfillment of my right and good and full desire. Yeah. So it's the consummation of marriage, whatever that means in heaven. It's eating, it's drinking, it's fellowship. It's, and this is sort of, you know, in the parables, in the parable Jesus tells here, in the one of Matthew twenty-five, and and even when he's actually having dinner, you know, it's it's he's sort of he's sort of like previewing that. He's mm-hmm. sort of uh, showing us, a, getting us a glimpse of, yeah, now this is what it's going to be like. That in a sense, this, you know, working hard is good, and achieving is good, and having, and you know, being a good steward of all of that's good but not to the exclusion of uh, joy and celebration and people and eating and drinking and so on. And right. I certainly, I'm a child of that ethic where uh, it does feel a little funny to not do anything. Like on a Saturday, like I've, 
Like, what am I going to do today? What am I going right. to accomplish today? Right. Or it might feel funny to eat your dessert first, right. so to speak. Oh, like, oh, I want to enjoy. I don't want right. to, you know, muscle through and then right. work hard and right. then you can rest. And right. like, as opposed to, this yes. is good. Yes. Enjoy it. Yes. Right. I'm going to bring in another passage. So I, we got some supplemental things here. Can't have uh, too much Bible. Can't have too much Bible. Uh, this is Psalm 114. I think you'll like this. Uh, you cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine and bread to strengthen man's mm-hmm. heart. Mm. That's it. Right. It's just praise right. for the goodness of food, drink, That's right. the wonderful taste and it's flavors. It's not just food to keep you alive, mm-hmm. to keep you respirating. Right. It's to enjoy. Yeah. Uh, and yes, it's a very interesting thing that will i am i am i living in such a way that my heart is pointing to its desire being fulfilled in heaven that's good and you know how do i sort of presage that now and i think often at least in the west particularly in america avoiding desire seems like the safest path. yeah i feel like whatever you're talking about there feels very very true and dangerous and something that if we could uncover might might bring some liberation to people Um, because i just when you say that i think oh there's a gear in me that says that just automatically says do not trust your desire Mm -hmm. don't trust your desire it's not good it's going to lead you into destruction that's right yeah that's right and it's tricky because our desires are of course of course fallen but that doesn't mean we ought not to desire. Yeah. And I think that's what we often, we're sort of scared of it. Um, and this, like, what does God want me to desire? What does God's desire for my desire is a better question than I got to get rid of this desire. Right. Uh, and I kind of feel like, you know, I don't know all of what Luther meant when he's, he, Martin Luther famously told his, his acolyte and, and theologian, I think Philip Melanchthon, he said, sin boldly, right? Yeah. So this, and I think that obviously people have written their own meanings into that. And, you know, I'm, I, I don't know if I'm doing that now, but in a, it's a sense is don't be so afraid of sinning that you don't live. Yeah. That's so good. Because then you're just sinning in a different way. Yes, it is. And it may probably a more destructive way because you're going to have to kill off some mm-hmm. things that might, yes. you might need access to really reflect who God is and mm-hmm. live a bigger life right. as opposed I, to kill that that's off. That's right. Because I think what he means is live boldly. Mm-hmm. And in that process, you're going to sin. Mm-hmm. But that's better than not living, shrinking, mm-hmm. afraid of a misstep well and that's yeah yeah i love that you brought that up luther's context was a very rigorous uh catholicism that was the only church at the time by the Mm -hmm. way uh pre-reformation was was the the catholic church church in the west yeah so uh was you became obsessive about your sins Right. I think we can do that still yeah. today. And right. Protestantism is right. we imply and the whole thing. The whole point is you're not supposed and, to sin. Right. And then we create this obsessive thinking about it, which, as you know, psychologically, that just means you're going to sin <laughs> because yes. you're still thinking about it. Right. So you're obsessing over right. it. You're going like, to do the thing you're trying right. not to yeah. do. Right. But you remind me, so we'll bring some heavy hitter quotes in here. Uh, uh, Augustine said a similar thing. Love God and do as you please. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, do what you desire because yes. he didn't say it in English, of course. Right. You know? So that's what, 
so doing what I please should not be is not the is not the problematic statement. It, if I love, I mean, loving God right. is the, <laughs> it's the prerequisite. That's the pre- yeah. that's the hard part. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's surprising for us in a number of ways, not just theologically or not even mostly theologically. I think it's sort of culturally, like we don't exactly know what to do. And that was this, the case with them, right? They didn't know exactly yeah. what to do with it uh, theologically. And I do feel like uh, another another uh, passage from from Luke uh, that Jesus was, was uh, sort of saying to his critics, like you guys, like you don't, you don't really know what you want or you're sort of like, what, you're, you're impossible to please. He says, Luke 7, 31 through 35, Jesus went on to say, to what then can I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to each other. We played the pipe for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not cry. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine and you say, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking and you say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by all her children. Now I've always loved that passage. I love it. It's so good. I don't. I don't exactly know everything he means. It's by probably it. it's probably because it's so mysterious. Yes. Like, what right. are you? Are we but, missing something? But part of what he's saying is, okay, who you? John the Baptist comes and he doesn't eat or drink, and you say he has a demon. Right here is the Son of Man, Jesus coming, eating and drinking, and you say he's a, a, a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners, and he seems to imply. In, in either case, neither one of those things are really the issue. Absolutely. Right. The issue, right. I'm rejecting John the Baptist and I'm rejecting Jesus on totally other grounds. Mm-hmm. And I'm using mm-hmm. some other justification to say, no, he's a bad guy because, blah, you know, he lives in the desert and he eats locusts and honey and whatever. Obviously something's wrong. Obviously with him. something's wrong with him. And Jesus comes and he says he's a rabbi and whatever, but he's hanging out with you know, tax collectors and sinners, which seems as obvious to them as something must be wrong. Well, he had the nightlife going on and, well, that's opposite of John. That's bad. Right. That's right. And so um, can we be, like, what really offends us about Jesus? What really offends us about this passage? What really offends me about this sermon? It seems like I'm, I'm likely to say something that is a little off the mark. Mm-hmm. It makes me feel good about mm-hmm. rejecting it rather yeah. than, no, I should just name it. Right. That it really makes me uncomfortable. The idea of being at a party, the idea of being at Matthew's house, eating and drinking with these prostitutes and homosexuals and tax collectors and fill in the blank, that makes me uncomfortable. Yeah. And so... That's really the issue, and, and maybe, I'm going to dress it up in some right. theological something, right? But the 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 issue is more so about who I have decided who's in and who's right. Out. Yes, all those bad people. Yeah, I mean that seems dicey to me to be around them. And this isn't a fully formed thought, so I don't know how it's going to even you know uh, translate. But when I think about Jesus and where he spent his time, and I think about our context today as Christians, uh, obviously we want to introduce people to Jesus, and you can do that a thousand ways with your actions, with your character, your words, kindness, all that stuff. But Jesus 
where, where you go seems to say something about who you identify with. Mm-hmm. And you don't find him reaching out to tax collectors and sinners and saying, come to the synagogue. Right. Because he would have said, you need to come here and identify with me. Right. And the whole point of incarnation is that God is going to places to identify with people that they don't think God can identify with them. I don't know. Does that, Yeah. do you feel like that's moving towards something that's on point or yeah, it seems I think like there's something there? Yeah, I think that's right. He doesn't go to them and say, come to the synagogue. He doesn't go to them and say, um, uh, here's, here's a set of doctrine you must believe. Uh, he's really offering himself. And of course he's the son of God and the savior of the world, but we offer ourselves in his stead Mm -hmm. on his behalf. Mm -hmm. Uh, and everything else, like eventually they would probably go to the synagogue, Mm -hmm. like eventually, but that's not step one. That's step 19 or whatever, 97. Um, and I get, I think that goes to our own, I mean, part of our own desire and not being just comfortable in our own skin and letting the Holy Spirit work through us as we want to somehow control the outcome so that we can feel good about, hey, I went to that party and mm-hmm. seven people came to church the next Sunday. Because mm-hmm. that's something I can count and something I can name. Or, uh, And it's not the same as to say I went to that party and people saw me as sort of a regular person. It was fun to hang around. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which, and I had a good time. I had a good time. Right. And they had a good time. Getting to know people. And that's, maybe that's, all that needs to happen. Yeah. Uh, anyway, and so yeah, I think that I think that one of the th- like this passage in Luke about John the Baptist this and Jesus that and uh, the Pharisees like oh the, the people that you're with are doing this or doing that. I think one of our coping mechanisms we have is to have an unhealthy uh, obsession with other people's sin. Like the more mm-hmm. focused I am on other people's sin, I think the less honest I'm being with myself or the less, yeah, the less humility I'm having, the less honesty I'm having that, yeah, that, uh, yes, of course, everyone has sin. There's but, a rewind button, like a 15 second rewind button that should be hit uh, now a lot because <laughs> that's just, that's, that's scandalizing. We all true. do that. We all do that. Yes. And, and it, because it, why do we do that? Well, because A, it's sinful and B, we, it's, you know, we're right and it feels virtuous and all of the, it identifies me as a good person and all of these things that, but there's nothing, the people who do that in the Bible are on the wrong side of Jesus. They're on the wrong side of Jesus. And Jesus is not doing that. Jesus who knows all about their sin. uh, And in fact, I'm encouraged to have a fairly, you know, pay a fairly large degree of attention to my own sin mm-hmm. to the point that other people's sin does not scandalize me mm-hmm. as much as my own. Not as shocked by it. Right. Surely I can understand yeah. How that. could somebody do that? Okay, I actually know how they could do that. Yeah, I, I'm. It, it, the more I get to know myself as fallen and want to do things that are good but don't always follow through, don't want to do things that are harmful but follow through. Yes the more I'm able to understand, well, they might do it differently, right. but hey, the same mechanics are working inside right. of me. That's right. the same thing. That's right. Yeah, it's funny because we were, um, I was teaching uh, a class on, uh, uh, it's too complicated. Was it to meaning? Into. Yeah, it was one on meaning. And we were talking about the whole, the whole Aunt Becky thing, you know, the whole college admission scandal. And it's a, it's a great jumping off point 
because it does scandalize everyone and it seems so wrong and it seems so whatever heinous. Um, but of course, nobody in the room has enough money to commit that sin. <laughs> so it's not possible for us to be tempted. Like if That's we had $10 million, it might be a real lie. Right. We could, if we could get, our, we could buy our kid into Yale and would we be right. tempted to buy our if kid If we had the Yale? money and that mattered to right. us. And so that's the, it's so easy. Uh, and I think that's a big part of our culture now where our own virtue comes from. And that's, you know, say what you will about the cancel culture. We, we were laughing about a Babylon Bee uh, item. Uh, what was it? Uh, Prodigal Son kicked back out after past <laughs> tweets on Earth. Out after yeah. past tweets surfaced. <laughs> and then he tried to go find work again in the far off land, but yeah, his employer found, found yeah. out the yeah. tweets and he was canceled. Yeah. Uh, and so that whole idea of outrage and judgment based on other people's sin is such a big part of our social media landscape now. And it's really this phenomenon where even if we're right in the fact that the tweets were offensive, yeah. it's so this idea that we are sitting in judgment of other people feels so good. And it, it's the, the stories happened a number of times. There was a story uh, I think a couple of weeks ago where some guy was at a football game, nationally televised football game, and he held up the sign, you know, Bud Light, uh, Bud Light, uh, fun getting low. And he had his, he had his Venmo ID and people Venmoed him a lot of money. <laughs> and then that sort of went viral and he had over a million dollars after he pledged, I'm going to give this money to this hospital sure. or whatever. And so there, the, 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 the local paper did a, a story on them and the reporter found some old tweets and of course that made it into the story and so this guy then has to apologize for these tweets that he was when he was 15 oh my goodness and here's the irony the reporter had tweets from when he was the reporter who and, dug up the treat and tweets the reporter, on this guy and the reporter gets fired oh it's just, oh. it's a festival. Judge not lest you be judged. It's, it's a festival oh. of outrage and condemnation. And it, there's this sense of, um, aren't we doing the right thing? By Which, of course, no. Well, you know what? It's it, And what's sad in, in the context of what we're talking about, what's sad is like, can't we just enjoy that? Yeah, can we? I mean, can we it's not a beautiful obsess about thing. other people yeah. singing and be like, right. hey, that's amazing. It's a beautiful thing. Let's Wish just, I had a thought of it, right. but that's amazing. It's a beautiful thing. And, and had we, you know, were it 10 years ago or 20 years ago, uh, pre-Twitter, that's all the story would that's have been. That's all we get. And, and we would have celebrated that. And, we and this guy, that. poor 15-year-old yeah. him. Yeah. I mean, right. if any of you have teenagers, like, really? Like, give right. us, give everybody a break. You know, I think it's Mark Twain who said a, a Puritan, by definition, is uh, someone who is deeply afraid that someone else somewhere is having a good time. Yeah, right, right. Like, there's I, an I, element I, of truth to that. You can't have a good time. Yes, Right. And, and the, the, the sad part is, is, is if I'm obsessing, there's, when, I, when there, that part of me obsesses over someone else's sin and obsesses over they need to fix that or that's wrong or I'm outraged by it, um, that part of me need, is not really enjoying the party. No. I mean, I'm taking perverted enjoyment yeah. over things that I ought not to enjoy. Do you think that's a, do you think it's because maybe that's a cheap, quick enjoyment yeah. and a right. true deep festive enjoyment is a bit harder to get to? Sure. I don't know. Yeah. Do we really, do we really enjoy a story of a bad person redeemed mm. or 
or just somehow we feel like, oh, he got off easy. You know, that's the right. same. That's this idea of um, most people shouldn't be having fun at a party. Yeah. Right. And I don't want to be a part of them having fun at a party because they're the bad people. Yeah. Um, it's one of the things Paul wrote, and it's something that we've talked about as we've talked about culture is so he wrote to the Corinthian church, which was in a very worldly place, a very worldly context. Uh, and he wrote of them not to, he wrote them to not, or he taught them not to associate with sexually immoral people. And in first Corinthians five, nine and 10, he says, he sort of corrects a misinterpretation that they apparently had. He says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave the world. <laughs> I love this passage right? too. It's so, so he's saying basically those in the church who are living flagrantly immoral lives, you need to confront them. People outside the church? Yeah. I mean, how would you, you'd have to leave the world. Yeah. You'd have to not go to the party. You'd have to not go to the party or you have to stand outside the party and try to criticize and manage their behavior. And if you guys act right, I feel party, pick up the party, whatever. And I think that's a big uh, disconnect for us. This sense of don't leave that. In in that case, you would have to leave this world. That's Paul's writing. And, and there's some sense in which, oh, I have to leave the world to be a good Christian which is not what Jesus did. And it's, it's explicitly not what Paul's writing. 15 have- second rewind. <laughs> I'm telling you that is that equation um, has, uh, has impeded the mission of God for so long. Right. In order to be a good Christian, I have to leave the world. I have to leave the world. I have to disassociate myself from the sinners of the world, yeah. which is the complete opposite of what Jesus did, what Paul taught, that how else are you going to be the light. As Jesus says, you're the light of the world, but don't put it under a bowl, of course. Uh, Now, at the same time, he said, you are the salt of the earth. And if you become unsalty, if you become indistinguishable, like, so don't become indistinguishable from the world. Right. But you can't leave it either. And I think we often in the church can choose leaving it because it's it's easier. I mean, it's easier to find our own uh, circle of community, friendship, connection within the church which is great and we should we should do that i mean you and i were out last night right that's great but we do that to the exclusion of interacting with people who are not in the church uh, because that's more uncomfortable and i think that's explicitly unbiblical it's but it's something that is so it's explicitly unbiblical but we don't feel guilty about it no right we almost feel justified and feel virtuous about it. Right. Um, so we should go to parties. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Jesus did. Jesus did. Um, <laughs> go and do likewise. <laughs> so one more, as we, so we have, we're getting close to the end of our time. So a question that came up in our meeting, which I thought was interesting, was when's the last time you were invited to a party? Yeah. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> right? Because to me, it, it, it signals, and for people who get hung up on, well, wait, you should go to party, not go to party. Like, okay, hear what we're saying. The party is almost the doorway to yeah, the deeper right, conversation. Right. 
Um, and the party might be the thing for some people. Right. Like right. that might be the thing that you've got to learn how to enjoy That's life right. and fellowship and the good gifts of God's common grace, food and drink. But um, uh, there's, I think that gets in the way of what's really going on. Mm-hmm. Of can you and do I, do I enjoy being alive? Do I enjoy mm-hmm. where this is all going? Mm-hmm. Do I think it's all going somewhere mm-hmm. good? And when I'm with people, can they see my humanity? Do I get to take the pastor mask off or mm-hmm. the image mask off? And do mm-hmm. they get to be around a person like, oh, he's human. Yeah, right. He, he, he's human. Right. We can have a conversation right. on a human level yeah. without spiritual cliches yeah. or, you know, having a conversation about, oh, I didn't go to church this week, pastor. I, right. <laughs> okay. Right. On some level, I don't care. <laughs> like, let's talk about like <laughs> other things. Right. And I think that's part of what's difficult for, and what Paul's getting to in his first Corinthians five passage. And Jesus, like, do, do our, do people who are outside of the faith, who believe different things than we do, live differently than we do, can they see us as one of them? Right. Can we identify yes. with them? Hey, right. he's my neighbor. He's my friend. He's, he's one of, you know, we're together at this party. He's not an outsider sitting outside the party, though physically. Above know, the, the party. Above, right, above judging. He's just one of us. And I think getting to that po- point, whatever that looks like, party or not, whether it's party or watching somebody's kids or coaching, you know, or book club or whatever, whatever the context is, it's the same idea that we are here standing on this common ground mm. from this point now I can share some of my life in a way that you might actually hear. It's not coming from some platform or some weird other place. Yeah. It's this guy I know. I just think that's gold. Honestly, the, the, the enjoyment of the party is the letting down. And that's, that's the missional impact. Mm-hmm. It's, the, it's the identification with, I'm with you yeah. in this thing. That's what incarnation I'm is, yeah, right? I'm not, I'm not above there. you. That's what Jesus, Jesus did for came. Us. He came to be one <laughs> right? of us. He came. That's I'm right. with you I, yeah. in solidarity yeah. with humanity. Yeah, right. And from that place, I can offer you grace and whatever. Yeah. Um, so this one's going to get a lot of plays. Yeah, we should go. To, I think so. We should plan a party. <laughs> we should plan yeah. a party, and yeah. I think this one's going to get some yes. plays. All right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. I think that's. Uh, that's all we got for this week. So yeah, yeah go and enjoy hmm. and and delve deeply into God's desire for your desire and look forward to his fulfillment of that and in that blessing. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to Rogue Table Talks, a Calvary Church Media Productions podcast. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts.